stranger from the outside. Greetings. I am Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. This is an intergalactic emergency. I need to commandeer your vessel to Sector 12. Who's in charge here? Claws, our master. Claw chooses who will go and who will stay. This is ludicrous. I have been chosen. Farewell, my friends. I go on to a better place. Welcome to episode 14 of First Strike, the Invasion podcast. This is the podcast that looks at the Invasion crossover, uh, published by DC Comics in 1988, and that took the entire DC Universe and Earth by storm. We're looking at every issue of that series, every tie-in, every TV episode now. Uh, everything. <laughs> we're going to be looking at everything that's connected to Invasion. I'm ba- I'm Siskoid. I'm and- just going to say I'm Bass, but I'm Siskoid. <laughs> and I'm Bass. And we're talking about Power of the Atom number 7, which came out on the month of holiday. Yeah, holiday <laughs> issue. Um, but yeah, so this is um, this is Ray Palmer, the Atom. Yeah, the Silver Age Adam, and he's recently come back to his own series. Um, just to put you in context, which you don't have when you you start with issue seven, uh, the Adam obviously had a Silver Age series. It was like one of the big Silver Age characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually went to the uh, to Justice League of America, where we saw him. He never had like this very long series afterwards. So by the in the eighties, there was a comic called Sword of the Adam, which repositioned uh, Ray Palmer, sent him to, like, South America, where he met diminutive barbarian people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he went to live with them. Yeah, that's, uh, it's like, uh, um, I-, I heard of this, yeah, but I haven't seen any. Skelver's Travels meets um, yeah. John Carter of Mars meets those Hulk issues where he goes to the microverse. Yeah. So it's that thing. It's kind of weird, but yeah. yeah. And then recently, he's come back, at this point, he's recently come back, he's enhanced his powers so now it's not, not just about shrinking you can also kind of redistribute his mass to like give like super powerful punches yeah he brings back some stuff from when he's small to when he's big it, it's kind of there's a lot of weird stuff i'll have questions yeah well uh the atom is, has always been about science just like the flash mm-hmm. it's one of those heroes uh who use science he's a scientist use science uh in his early strips so what are the physics of shrinking and growing? And so that was used in the original stories. And here he's just making them better. It's still a very physics-centric as far as the power set goes. That's perfect. Yeah. I love that. I'm a science geek. And this series, Power of the Atom, lasted 18 issues. It didn't really last very long. Uh, just a year and a half. But it was, for me, like my real first introduction to the character in print. Even okay. though I'd seen him in other places. In any case... We're going to be talking about the Adam and what he means to us, if anything, in the second part of the show, as usual. But the first part of the show is talking about this issue. Let's start with uh, the cover. I don't know how to call this type of cover, but this is a type of cover where you have. Well, you know, <laughs> it it's is one of those, a type of cover. It's it's well in in the sense where you have this. There's like a pinup. It's not a pinup. It's it's you see the character. Yeah, it's a hero shot of the character. Yeah, and uh, and the rest of the cover is basically. All the uh, alliances, ships, looking at the Earth. So right. it's so not... they're in background. They're sort of, yeah. sort of a color hold, just like a like they're drawn in purple. They're white with purple lines. Yeah. Uh, so the the atom really pops. Yeah. It's one of those covers where it won't be a action shot from inside the comic. 
You know, you, you have these covers that look like an action shot from inside the comic. Right. This is not one of those. I usually call them like pinup covers or something like that. Okay. Where, you know, you see the character. They're very and, common today. And it says, Invaded. No, I like the cover. Yeah, it's I like by the Graham cover. Nolan, who does the interior art. Now you may remember that Graham Nolan did the art that we didn't really care for uh, in our last episode for Doom Patrol number seventeen. That's very true. Here he's got a better inker, mm-hmm. and I think the work looks nice. I, Graham Nolan is a very straightforward artist, superhero artist. It's yeah. not a flashy kind of style. Not clean lines, and, and... Uh, but I've always you know liked him well enough. Yeah. So I was surprised when I when I saw his credit in. Uh, Doom Patrol. Now, this issue came out the same month. Uh, Man, he he was busy. Well, yeah, maybe that's why Doom Patrol kind of looked rushed. (laughs) This looks fine. And it does say, introducing Graham Nolan as penciler. So it's his first issue. uh, Like the previous issue was like John Byrne or something. So it's kind of a hard act to follow in this era. Yeah. But uh, really the issue, the story is called Behind Enemy Lines. It's by uh, writer Roger Stern, who I... I basically followed him here from his work on Avengers, which I really liked. That's like a seminal run. So writer Roger Stern, penciler Graham Nolan, inker K.S. Wilson, letterer Bill Oakley, colorist Nancy Houlihan, assistant editor Renee Witherstatter, and editor Mike Carlin. So it's basically the Superman editing yeah. group. Let's go into a synopsis. Let's see what's happening in this. It's kind of a strangely structured it issue. Is. It is. It, it goes into a flashback and it comes and back. And comes back. And, yeah. So... so Here's what happens. The Atom liberates some Australians captured uh, and put to work by Kunz. Mm-hmm. When they ask how he got there, he tells them, this is the flashback, that having just fought Kronos in the previous issue, his favorite villain tells him about the invasion and enters into an alliance with him. Ray goes to Australia via a phone call and fights both Kunz and Warlords of Okaara on arrival, and here he is. Right? Uh, so what happens next? Uh, learning about the prison camps... Uh, Ray decides to go out and free everyone. The Aussies join him because it's their families and damn it, they're Aussies. Uh, meanwhile, Ray's ex-wife, Jean Loring, is worried about him, which angers her current husband, blah, 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 subplot, subplot, subplot. And Kronos flies to Australia, hiding from the Daxamite Observer's super senses by moving his ship between seconds. Yeah. So he's going back to... It's, it's like this uneasy alliance where... The Adam really ditches him as soon as he can. Yeah. So he goes, he has to go to Australia himself. Uh, at the Kund Run camp, uh, the would-be rescuers are quickly spotted and a fight begins. Ray goes all out, killing or severely injuring several Kunds. After some Australians are killed, he gets really mad and forces a hover bike to smash into the main building, destroying it and taking down every single Kund. On the human side, a dozen have been killed, perhaps twice that number injured. Kronos arrives, saving the Atom from one last surviving Kun soldier, and maybe he wants something in return, but the Atom says, later, they still have a war to fight. Badass. Yeah, he is. He is. This uh, This was a great issue. That I, I really liked it. I didn't read a lot of Atom. I knew about Silver Age Atom. That's where I'm taken off. Yep. I know him from a lot of uh, team-ups with uh, Hawkman. and The first time uh, I saw him was with Batman, so that was... Uh, that was a long time ago, Silver Agey. And a lot of the new powers I didn't know about. Like his uh, ability to change his costume with thought. That's maybe, maybe it sh- shrinks up or maybe it well, grows I, around him. I don't know. Well, he goes from being... Uh, and by the way, I love the Adam costume. It's so simple. It's not really an A. It looks like an A. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's. I think it's perfect. It's classy. It's simple. The it big works. change in this era, more or less, is that... 
the the hood is cut so you can see his hair. Yeah, you can see his hair, but that's that's kind of like the Kid Flash thing. Yeah. Everybody likes hair. It's, it's the late 80s. Uh, everybody loves hair. I really, really like the way that he can just go into a telephone. And they kind of explain how he does it. Because he goes subatomic, but he uses... He basically jumps on electricity. And he uses, you know, the electron stream, which is basically electricity, to go from one place to another. And that's 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 great. Yeah, just, it's exactly the Flash premise kind of thing, where doing this thing has... You know, if you could really shrink to subatomic size... Yeah. Can, how can we use what we know of physics... To enhance that power. And the Flash has, uses speed. Mm-hmm. He uses shrinking. It's the same kind of... Uh, yeah. Uh, and this is a series... I want to get into the what we're going to do on the second part. But this is like the series that at one point had the atom kind of being wistful and going down subatomic and sitting on an electron and just looking at the the blackness. Yeah. Uh, but he's using the electron as a sort of planetoid. You know, that just... that Those are the kind of things that make me like... Shrinking heroes. Like, shrinking is one of my favorite shrinking is powers. awesome. Shrinkers is awesome because it's half science and half imaginary. After a while, you kind of have to build that world in your head. Because we, we know what it looks like, but we can't shrink down to that level. We can see what it looks like, but we, you know, we yeah, can't be there. We can't really, you know. It's an interesting world that he has access to. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea. I like underdogs, so I like a small hero. That, and this is a very strong action issue. Very it's action-driven. So. And you can see that he's, you know, he's been in that barbarian world for a while. So yeah, he's uh, the ways of the warrior and killing these kuns because we're at war is not no, excluded. Yeah. He can and, do this. And he, he kind of goes, uh, he goes quickly into action. Seems to be a quick thinker. Of course, he's, he's a smart man, but smarts doesn't really translate always, should I say, or it doesn't always translate into, uh, action. There's this one thing where he, he goes all, uh, night wingy there when you see like the action roll where he grabs a gun and says, well, I don't know how to use this thing. Let's just hope for the best that guns all work. Kind of the same kind way. Kind of the same way. And they actually do. And yeah. he's kind of lucky on there, but still very See, bold. It's like sequences like this that make me think that, you know, why why does the art subpar in the Doom Patrol issue, when this is also Graham Nolan doing it? Very fluid also. But it it's very, it's also clean. There's yeah. There aren't 100 characters in the frame. Not everybody's like really tiny and yeah. ill-defined. Camera got, angles are always good. We've got one hero, usually in the frame with only one opponent, and... There it works. We see more of his strength as a... Um, as a... Now, the, the big question is the Kronos flashback. Yeah. yeah. Because it starts with... And this is this confused me. I had to go back to my boxes. Like, I read the book at work. Okay. And then well, when I got home, I had to look at the bo- in the box. <laughs> what happened just before? Because we did our whole preludes episode. Mm-hmm. And for my research, we had issues where the invasion was referenced beforehand. Yeah. And... Part of the atom number six was not mentioned. So is this whole... When does this occur? Are we seeing elements that were in number six or not? So basically, it's not much of a prelude, but uh, issue number six is a fight with Kronos. Kronos is back. Slightly different costume. It's yeah. not great, but it's better than what he used to have. Well, you know. And his powers are much enhanced. He's got a lot of time travel tricks. I don't remember Kronos from the Silver Age, but I kind of like this one. 
This yeah, guy, and he's more powerful than yeah. It's, it's more like it, it used to be like gadgets that were time inspired. Okay, yeah, I can see how that can be. But can here be. he's using real time travel, and he's using things. he's using time travel very well. Well, I'll, I mean, we'll probably yeah, talk we'll, about we'll talk about his shticks. Sure. Yeah, but here what uh, what happens is in the the end of number six, the fight ends, and the Adam says like, uh, "What up, bro?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's so fluid coming what, out of your mouth. What's going on? And Kronos says, "I'm the least of your worries. There's an invasion from space." And so here we're seeing the conversation that ensued. Okay. Uh, and that conversation, basically, Kronos says, "You know, I've got a stake in keeping Earth uninvaded. Yeah. Because I'm a human being as well, and I want a certain future to happen. Uh, not not this one, obviously. Mm-hmm. So we've got to be allies. So even this- though we just." You know, fought and had death traps and yeah, yeah. But this is the first time we see a supervillain. Yeah, uh, actually, a real supervillain, not Gargax from the other issue from last time, who just wanted Earth who for just, himself, anyways. Yeah, he wanted Earth for himself, and he wanted revenge on the Alliance, the Alien Alliance. Uh, so his motives were very, very personal. And but Kronos here, makes himself a champion yeah. of Earth. Kronos says, you know what, for right now, uh, we need to work together because I'm not having this. So I kind of, I kind of dug that. That was, that was very nice, uh, seeing a, a supervillain just saying, you know what, let's, let's not fight. And he's the one who's bringing it up. I mean. Yeah, the Kron- Adam wasn't no. aware. Adam was like, yeah, no. But he can, like, a sort of seen the future yeah. a little bit. So he knew, like, he had advance warning, even though the, yeah. the operation is. I mean, as soon as he convinces the atom, Australia's already fallen, and it's, you know yeah. they're still kind of late. Exactly, but this is a very Lex Luthery move, you know, where Lex, you know, he has a stake in something, so he'll team up with you know, Superman or whoever. But once it's over, it's over. So I, I thought it was like a classy, real supervillain move, and I, I, for some odd reason, well, not for some odd reason, but for that reason, all of a sudden, Kronos was like, you know, kind of badass for me. I said, yeah, well, I. I dig it. Yeah, I, like I think him. he's one of the certainly bad costume, one of, one of, but you know, because he well, has splash goggles on. I mean, splash goggles, like in a, you know, if you're yeah, working in a lab, sort of wearing a sort of Blofeld kind of I don't outfit know in green. It's horrible. But it used to be even worse. He, he was like a fashion disaster before. And he uses a lot of. You're right. He uses a lot of interesting shticks. He uh, he looks at after echoes yeah. of an aftershock of a conversation yeah. the Adam had. Kind of like when you're playing like one of these Batman games on your console. I played all of them, and you can you can go in detective mode, and you can like recreate what goes on, and you can see because he's I mean he's Batman, he's so smart. He can just recreate. It, it's a I'll be there, and then you, he can see the fight, and he can see everything, but. This is not him being smart about it and thinking about it. He actually sees an echo. And and I thought that was great. I yeah. was like, yeah, this is he awesome. uses that. He uses the hiding in between moments. Yeah, a so temporal that, displacement. That's always cool. That's be- always cool. Because it's it's complete nonsense. It is. Hiding between moments. It's, it uh, is, but, you know, you're just a couple seconds behind or a couple seconds ahead. But you can see what they're seeing. And it's kind of weird, but you know what? It's yeah, a weird it's, power. It's sci-fi, comic book yeah. uh, logic. Uh, and, of course, his ship kind of looks like... It, it hasn't really changed his ship. It used to be like a flying platform. Now he's inside. 
Yeah. But it sort of has a solar um, timepiece kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he also turns a kund into a bag of dust. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah, very... So he's got some powers. He's very powerful. The Atom really shows his uh, fighting ability in this. Fighting kunds, his body's linked to a mass of high-density matter when he's small, so he can bring some of that up when he grows. And that's how he punches kunds in the belly and just knocks them out. Or kills them. I think or, there's one where... A punch I think kills yeah. him, and and there's one place where he just he basically becomes a bullet yep. and goes through a shoulder. I mean that's badass. Living bullet, yeah, that's one of the better parts. And you know, it's like I'm not a big fan of turning heroes into murderers, or yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. But in this case, I thought the I like that there's a continuum to it. That Ray Palmer went into the jungle, and when he came back, he was a different person. God knows what damage he's prepared to do. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. Are you telling me that 200 men against your boy is a no-win situation for us? You send that money, don't forget one thing. A good supply of body bags. And he had become much more of a martial character. Yeah. And this is war. Australians are being put in work camps. And obviously there's an alien invasion. And he goes all out. Yeah. And he lets his rage loose. And I think yeah. he's a character that used to be very straight-laced and then suffered a lot. Sort of accidentally flipped it to the Gene Loring page, uh, which is a, uh, a you good, know, a good the, reason. the reason for his rage. Uh, <laughs> a good reason why rage is Is bad. now ex-wife Gene Loring, who yeah. will turn out to be a murderer of superheroes we love. Yes. Uh, by Identity Crisis, which we're not going to go into. But, no, we're not. Yeah, but still, Gene has always been a sort of... Sort of yeah. Uh, and there's a cameo appearance by uh, Paul Hogan. Yeah, Crocodile uh, Dundee Crocodile is in this. Crocodile Dundee. Around that same page. Uh, he's one of the people liberated by the Atom. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> what we, we, we do? We, we wouldn't have had Crocodile Dundee too. Yeah, it's the 80s. Eh? But yeah, you really feel like this. And, 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 and this creates kind of a weird thing, but I feel is great for a character as that you know, Dr. Ray Palmer is this brilliant scientist, but all of a sudden has this emotional baggage that he cannot, he just can't put aside. And I, I, I felt this, I haven't had, and I didn't read all the backstory, I don't know about his uh, barbarian adventures, but I do feel like there's something there that's bigger than his just being smart. And the way he fights, he's very aggressive, very, and I like to call him frowny, uh, Ray, because uh, unlike the character in the in the Legends of Tomorrow show, this is not funny Ray. There's no, no smiley Ray over here. There's never really been a funny Ray in well, the comics. There's we'll, one now. We'll talk about that at the, but, uh, in the second yeah. part. But um, frowny Ray is, is can be very savage and very aggressive, and I kind of I kind of like. That. And here it's like it's the uh, it's the story of a, the you know our smallest hero basically yeah. physically is our smallest hero who goes in alone. He really and does. destroys. A whole unit of the Alliance's best warriors, yeah. single-handedly. I like that contrast, uh, and I, since I do like the Atom and heroes like him, to see him alone, you know, basically destroy these guys is very, very satisfying. Very. He's very yeah. acrobatic. He's very. He says like real battle prowess. He uses powers intelligently and interestingly. Well, a lot he, of variety to it. He uses his powers inside of combat. You know, he he's not relying on his powers. As combat, he's using his powers inside combat, and that's that's beautiful. Sort of reminded me how um, how the Ant Man movie got that right. That got that element right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That in a fight you go, you grow and shrink. Yeah. And it feels like you're really using the whole everything you could. It kind of felt like that. 
Yeah, yes. and he's not above picking up a gun and shooting and no, using he, it. He'll so do it. he really goes on a on a rampage here and beats the uh, beats the Kuns even at their own game. Oh yeah, big so it's time. pretty cool. Not entirely su- successful though. There are a bunch of people who die. Yeah, he's trying to liberate a bunch of people, but the Kuns they just don't they they won't have that, so they just shoot a bunch of people. And, uh, yeah, basically just destroys him. Dozen people, I think. And this will, I think, weigh heavy on Ray. Because he's not really... I mean, he's all torn up. The costume. You know, he's won a fight, but he's kind of been in the same place as uh, Martian Manhunter was when we did the uh, the, yeah, Justice the Justice League, League the Justice League International <laughs> issue where, you know, Martian Manhunter is really reflective and, and thinking, yeah, we, we won this battle, but at what cost? And I think Ray's kind of at this same spot. But angrier. But angry. Yeah, he's 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 not very happy. And then he's forced to collude with Kronos, and I don't think that's going to end very well. And Kronos has this smug face right. now. He, you just want to punch him. He looks shiny. You know these shiny people? where You know, they always look like either they're wet or sticky or something. This is how Kronos looks. He looks sticky. Yeah, but he's a slime ball. He looks like the hands of a toddler, but in his face. I mean, he's he's just ugh. he's just. Ugh. <laughs> Any final thoughts on uh, the story? I've got a couple. I'll just say that um, like a great line and a kind of offline as far as just dialogue. Okay. I love the imagery created by the when uh, Ray hears their language. He calls it bears gargling gravel. Yeah, yeah. I that was cool. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the one I didn't like so much is uh, one of the Australians uh, thinking he's called the Adam. A-D-A-M. <laughs> Come on, dude. Yeah, that seriously. Would, I know you're not keeping up with the American superheroes, but that's really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Bears gargling gravel. That one made me smile. Not sure how that sounds. I want to hear it. I don't know. Probably sounds a bit like uh, when the bear attacks <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio in, in, in that movie, uh, The Revenant. Revenant. Pro- probably sounds like that. Like... <laughs> Great language, beautiful, yeah. beautiful words. Poetry, really, poetry. Um, Every word is an image. If we're done, we're going to take a small break, and when we come back, we'll, we're going to talk about the atom some more. The atom. Not from this issue, but from every issue ever. The Power of the Atom podcast. While we'll cover all the atoms at various points, whenever I feel like it, the main subject will be Ray Palmer, because he's just the coolest. Through the magic alchemy of nature's most awesome sources of energy, Ray Palmer, atomic physicist, becomes the Atom, a power-packed mighty might, whose rooted mind and great strength serve law and order against crime and injustice. Tiny Titan, scourge of evildoers, the Atom. Join me, Diablo Frank. Podcast available on iTunes, Shout Engine, and the Internet Archive. We're back. We're talking about the Atom. Uh, Ray Palmer, but also it's, it's a long tradition. There have been many Atoms. Yeah. Most of them shrinking heroes. Yeah. So some of them just short heroes. Yes. The original Golden the, Age Atom was just a short guy. Short, s- stocky guy who could fight. Yeah. I really like Al Pratt. I really liked him, but I, this, is, this is the other tradition where it's a shrinking hero using yeah. dwarf star matter to make things happen. I, I, I love the shrinking stuff. I love the science-y stuff also. I think that's one of the reasons why I love The Flash. It's because it's very science-y. I, I'm a kind of science background type guy. So uh, I, I really enjoyed The Atom. Yeah, The Atom's similar to that. And um, I, I gotta say, like um, I was talking about 
the previous episode, I was talking about how the showcase, the only showcase presents I can finish are Aquaman ones because I think they're so charming and I love the character so much. I have a very hard time even getting through three or four stories of the Atom from really? the Silver Age. They're so boring. Really? They're so dull. I, I really don't know. Dull is, <laughs> is my reaction to it. I don't know. It's, but it's such, it's such a great character. Yeah, but it feels so dry. I think that's a problem with a lot of DC Silver Age books. Like Justice League is like that. The Green Lantern is kind of dull. Um, the Gardner Fox stuff, I guess. It, there's something to the writing and the... I, I don't know. I, I can see it. It's just... Eh, yeah. For me. Um, it doesn't have the charm that... It certainly doesn't have the kooky charm of like the Superman books of the era or the Batman books of the era, which is like crazy. Yeah. It's like we're trying to be slick and sophisticated for the era. Use science and use real relationships. It's like a proto-Marvel comics kind of thing. Yeah. But to me, it feels very dry compared to modern comics, compared to... Well, 80s, I'd call them modern comics. But also compared to the crazy Silver Age stuff of the Superman office or the Batman office, which are also part of that canon. They could have been crazy. and, and they, I mean, they still had some craziness to it. Like, the Atom had, like, half of his adventures are about going in this time travel whirlpool and uh, hanging out with historical characters. Why? Be- because you're learning about history just like you're learning about science. and Boom. It's Doctor Who, but I, I get it. It's just so dry. And I don't think he had, like, that much success. Because okay. they soon paired him up with with Hawkman. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was like he was a problematic character. It was always like one of the like one of our major Silver Age stars that just wasn't as popular as some of the others. Yeah, I think he's always been like a uh, creator favorite, like a writer favorite, because he's often the the guy who who has the science background. He, he's the guy you, you need a, a doctor uh, of science, uh, physics, or something. Yeah, you call Ray Paul. He's like a Reed Richards. Yeah. Type. Very often he's only used as a scientist. Yeah, really. Like in the comics today, he's not really no. much of an atom. He's Ray Palmer. Eventually, all these characters become older, and then they get different roles. And some yeah. of them keep fighting forever, but some of them become mentors to another generation. That's what yeah. basically what happened to Ray Palmer, sort of. They try to re- reimagine him as a fantasy character, basically at the tail end of that fantasy fad. Yeah. Which included, you know, which started with Conan, but then Warlord and Arion and Arak, Son of Thunder. So the Atom kind of became in that vein, like a weird hybrid. Yeah, that's kind of of a superhero thing mixed in. Yeah, Yeah, I I get it. Planet Hulk, you know, we've seen those kinds of experiments. Yeah, it it, it can work. And then that didn't really pan out. It sort of put the character outside of continuity somewhere. Then he comes back in Power of the Atom. Mm-hmm. Try to okay. Let's reboot him as a straightforward superhero. And I mean, this issue really showcases him as you know badass superhero. And I think it was a solid effort. It just didn't pick up much, uh, and it, much of it is not memorable. You know, when I read it, I oh yeah, I kind of remember this, but I liked reading it at the time. I would not call it like a highlight of the eighties. Okay, that's fine. But it was solid work. Uh, what happened next is kind of odd because they um, they de-aged him. Okay. And they made him the leader of a new gang of Teen Titans. I do not remember this. People like Argent. You know, you don't remember the names. I don't. It was like totally new characters, except for the Atom. And the Atom was a teenager. He had been de-aged. Oh, is this the gang that was only called Titans? 
I don't no, think so. I, don't I think they were teens. Okay. That's the whole point of making the Adam the teen, I guess. Yeah. Because so there's this one rogue team where yeah, there's at some point there's no Robin, there's no you know. Well, this had boy. no name heroes except okay. for the Adam, okay. who they had to force into a teenager role, even though he had his, all his memories anyway. <laughs> so, so that happened. Fountain of Youth. Uh, uh, yeah, and then after that, it was, or maybe before that, I don't know, I'm not sure. It's around the same time, there was a different Adam in Suicide Squad. In we didn't Suicide know. Squad? Yeah, Suicide Squad had an Adam. Okay. He wore like fatigues and a, a black mask. Kind of looked like this. He could have been Ray Palmer. We didn't know. It was like a mystery. Who okay. is this Adam that Amanda Waller is using? And it's a great power for Black Ops. Absolutely. Turns out it was a different guy, uh, which is a good thing because um, he ends up spiked on a fountain pen or something. So, <laughs> oh my eventually. <laughs> and <laughs> Rough. <laughs> Suicide Squad. And, uh, and Ray Palmer was behind him. It was like he was the mentor of this guy. Okay. He was acting behind the scenes for Waller, with Waller, or whatever. Then we have Identity Crisis. And Gene Loring murders yeah. the elongated man in Sudibney. We remember that. Among other evils. And uh, after that storyline, Ray Palmer said, I need to take a break. And that's where he disappears. That's where while. we all said, we, we need, need to take a break. <laughs> Identity Crisis was after the moment I took a break for money reasons. Yeah. Uh, and so I missed it happily. I am not happy to have seen any panels from that comic. Yeah. But yeah. I have. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't. Can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. Yeah, you, ha you have to know. It's not because I wanted to know. No, no, it's I because know. It's, the it's... internet flashes you with images that you don't want to see. You, you, you know what? You don't want to know, but you need to know. I do know, and that's it's kind of sad. But so that happened. It's his ex-wife. Mm -hmm. She's become a villain. Uh, she's always always been kind of crazy. It's one of the reasons you want to read some Silver Age Adam stories. Okay. Because Jean Loring from the get-go, sure. she's not a Carol Ferris. Going out with Green Lantern. She's not a uh, Iris West. She's not a Lois Lane. She's not. She's not that. She's a shit from the start. <laughs> so there's really there's, she's, there's no she call like for a, what she does. Is she like an abusive girlfriend? Kind of, yeah, but it's, it's because you know she becomes this unhinged villainous. Okay. That reading it now or taking gives, panels out of context or whatever is actually kind of hilarious because you know what's coming. She's a lot less personable than all the other girlfriends from the Silver Age. Okay, I, I can see that. I can you see can that. You can sort of see that she was always going to be an ex-wife. <laughs> that she was always going to be a yeah. villain. That she would go insane. It's there. It yeah. seems to be there in the DNA of the character. You can see it. She has the crazy ass. So that's the reason you want to read some Silver Age stories, to find those clues. But <laughs> really. Anyways. So he takes a break. And we don't see him for a long while. The identity passes over to Ryan Choi, the all-new, all-weird yeah. Adam, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, I, I haven't read any of it, but I did hear good things. Yeah, it's Gail Simone. Yeah. Uh, so she, she's good at doing some wacky yeah, stuff. I, I kind of like her. Yeah. I like her. I really like her. I and, like her on Twitter. I like her everywhere. Yeah, she's good there. She's I, good I, there. She's good in books. She's, she's <laughs> one of my two favorite redheads. That's how I live. I haven't ranked the redheads. <laughs> I have. I only like two of them. Okay. And she's in the two. She's in the top two. Excellent. So she's... Um, That's not true, but she is in the top. Okay. She, she's the one who uh, builds on uh, Ivy Town and makes it like the strangest campus ever. Yeah. Kind of thing. It's fun and kooky. Uh, when she leaves the book, um, it, Rick Remender does like uh, a few issues before it dies. Uh, he doesn't bring the same humor. I thought he crapped out at that point. Well... Even uh, though he's been good with other things. Simone is good at character building. 
I think. And that's why it worked. So Ryan Choi, they kill him off. That's sad. That's sad. Um, they spike him on the end of a fountain pen or something. <laughs> Once again. That's, that's what harsh. I'm going to say about everyone. That's harsh. Uh, but it's something like that. But he's back now. Okay. So good. then Ray doesn't really come back from that. It's that's that kind of thing where in the comics, Ray's back before the New 52, but they sort of do some like boring backups with him. And then New 52, he's just Ray Palmer. He's yeah. not the Adam. And then yeah. there's like a female Adam who betrays the Justice League. So she's there for a short while. They're not really doing the Adam tradition justice. Yeah. On TV, we have a new Ray. He's not the same guy. He's a funny guy. He's smart, funny, smiley. Ray Palmer. Nice to meet you. Love your company. So sorry I am late. <laughs> Traffic was terrible, which is why I took my helicopter. I parked on your roof. I hope that's okay. You guys validate, right? Oh, frack. He's Blue Beetle. He's basically Blue Beetle. <laughs> he was supposed to be the Blue Beetle. I think, yeah. And, and, well, I did hear that, right? Yeah, he was supposed to be the Blue Beetle, and the production was denied that character because there were plans. There may be plans for a blue and gold we still, project. We right? still hear that. Whatever. DC had other plans for the Blue Beetle. So mm. that name could not be used. And I mean, they have a choice of Beetles as well. So even if they do a Blue Beetle project, it may not be Ted, right? Yeah, yeah. And everywhere now, every cartoon, every... It's never Ted. No, it's Jaime. Yeah, it's never Ted Court. Which is fine. They do drop, name drop, Court Enterprises everywhere. Yeah, Court Enterprises everywhere. Well, now, in, on the TV series, yeah, but obviously, it's there. yeah, there is a yeah, Court Enterprises. There is. So maybe they were, like, planning for it. It's everywhere. But then the, Ray yeah. Palmer has to show up yeah. and be neither the Blue Beetle nor the Atom. Because, does the suit shrink now? Does he shrink? I, I haven't watched Yeah, Legends. well, that's how, so that's how he, quote-unquote, died. He shrunk. And then he came back. So there's a he, shrinking he can shrink. element. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm like a year behind. Yeah, yeah. He can so shrink. He can shrink. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in, yeah, because originally yeah. the suit had just miniaturization, but he was basically a, an Iron Man or a... Yeah, yeah. kind of look more like Exo Man of War. It was a... Yeah, it's an exoskeleton. It's more techy than maybe it should be. I don't know. But it's it's very techy and... And Blue uh, Beetle would not have been... Even if he had been Blue Beetle, it, it would have it been Blue Beetle in been, armor. Yeah. Well, it could have been like this... Weird hybrid between Ted and... Uh, the Jaime uh, yeah. suit. Yeah, because that's an armor. Yeah, it could have been that. But I, you know what? I think we're better off with calling him Ray and seeing him as a new type of Ray Palmer. And you know what? I'm going to say it. I enjoy Brandon Rao. I just like that guy. Yeah. I love that no, guy. I agree. I, he's a, he's, he just seems like a nice guy. I haven't met him. Wish I could. Uh, he's... <laughs> No, well, no, he, I'm he a was, Superman fan. He was I love good him in as Superman. Uh, Chuck. He was good yeah. at... Uh, what was that movie where he played a uh, gay character? Oh, that's... Uh, uh, Zack and Miri... Uh, make a porno. porno. Yeah. He's a fun guy. He's in one of my favorite uh, movies of all time, which is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Right. Exactly. Uh, and he's awesome in that. Yep. And uh, I just like that guy. And I think he he kind of recreated this Ray Palmer. He's kind of kooky, but he still seems smart. And uh, I, you know what? I really like him. And it's okay because, like I said, Ray Palmer, the comic book character has been overall rather dull. And I think he's, he's he's always been like that that hero that was that could have been something but because he was an uh, university professor and a scientist and he sort of kept it. the same thing happened to Barry Allen. I mean Barry Allen in the comics originally was kind of a white bread kind of he character. Was, well, that's why they kind of created this hybrid uh, Wally West and, and Barry for the TV show. And it's just combine yeah, elements. Yeah, because Barry was boring. Barry is boring, and Ray is boring, and I think 
and I, I, don't, I don't mean they're always boring. I don't mean every version of them is boring. I mean, they were boring in the Silver Age. Yeah. What made it escapist fiction was the science, yeah. the crazy villains, the, you know, the Silver Age uh, situations. Yeah. But... Zaniness. But the characters themselves were ciphers. They were your science teacher that you thought was boring. Which is why, even though those were popular and those, like, the modern DC comics really sprung out of that, yeah. Marvel took the world by storm by making the characters more personable, yeah. younger, having less, you know, not the problems your parents might have, yeah. but the problems you might have. And that struck a chord with readers. The DC readers of the time were probably much younger when that started. So they were, they were looking at adults. Yeah. And so they have adult problems. And they never could uh, Indiana Jones these characters. You know how Indiana Jones is this university professor, but you never really care about his university professor life. It's all about the adventures. I don't think these guys, uh, you know, the Silver Age, Barry Allens and Ray Palmer, they, they never really Indiana Jones. That's a This verb. is the closest it's gotten for the Atom, the series. Power of the Atom is very much, uh, him kind of raw, more of an action hero. Well, uh, the title is fitting. I mean, Power of the Atom. It's not just Atom, it's Power of the Atom. He's going to use these powers all types of ways and, uh, in I, battle. I felt that's he was I really the most human I've read him before and after i mean mm. before and after this i've always thought he was like he's much too much like a solo reed richards who wouldn't be a very good character no to, to watch in solo you know play. What? reed richards he's not he's kind of boring yeah but you want you don't want that stuffy professor to be your no. hero no you can't. he's fine in a team situation yeah as a solo hero that didn't quite work and, 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 and perhaps and that's why they matched him with hawkman who was had a much lustier personality yeah uh when you match those two together now it's a buddy movie it's a buddy kind of fits. series and you can play off the serious guy and the more i don't know the more extravagant guy yeah uh i don't remember how those issues went it may I, it may also be two stuffy characters i don't know like i said earlier the, the only times i did see the atom was in team-ups and the first story i ever read was this story i, I can't even remember which issue it is because it's it's so far away but it's when Adam is basically driving Batman because Batman is, for some odd reason, I don't know if he's dead or not, or he's... Yeah, it's like brain disease. He's, he's yeah. weirdly... Un it's a classic Bob Haney story from Brave and the Bold. It's crazy. It's crazy and it's dark. It's insane. It's the Adam, you know, pulling switches inside Batman's brain to exactly. make him move before he dies from brain fever or whatever. Yeah, it is. firing synapses or whatever you call them, and and it's. I love Bob Haney's stuff. Uh, it was crazy. <laughs> it was zany, but it was dark and gritty. Yeah, because it had that probably like a Neil Adams art to yeah. it, or someone similar. Yeah, it was that very classic, starting to be dark yeah. Batman. The, the, the first issues of Brave and the Bold that Bob Haney did with Batman team ups had like more primitive art or I mean, more Silver Age normal art, and came off as normal Silver Age fare, like ridiculous kind of stories. It looked like an issue of Justice League of the time, and then uh, Neil Adams comes on. And he plays everything for straight because his his style is so realistic. Or mm -hmm. so now it's like this weird realistic art with these nonsense stories, and, and it makes it kind of magical. And you know what? I even remember some of these. You know how the camera angles from the old Batman show—they're always like kind of yeah. tilted. The Dutch angles. Yeah. They have that in that Bob Haney comic book that I read. It's very weird, but I, I remember it. I so remember it. I was like 12. This is like 200 years ago. Man. Yeah, but the, our first comics always 
pop out. I think my first yeah. Adam was probably Super Friends, you know, that kind of thing. I might have seen him in, um, like, similar uh, circumstances, which would be black and white reprints in French. Yeah, we had um, a lot of that. So you, you're not too sure you've read, like, really stories you shouldn't have been able to read because they're really old, because, like, they back catalog. Yeah. And usually those collections had random strips that were unconnected from... It's like... In the one jumbo, had jumbo written on it. On the one jumbo <laughs> brick, you would have, oh, a Fantastic Four story. Yeah. Issue, really. Black and white. That's all about black and white with a color cover inserted. And then after that, you'd have, uh, okay, that's like a Fantastic Four and then a Flash. And then, um. Tom and Jerry. And Tom and Jerry. And <laughs> then like a House of Mystery. Yeah. Uh, just one. Not, not the whole issue. Just like the one. Yeah. Little short story. It was like, and then. It, Thor, and then another Fantastic Four, and I mean that's how it was, and you were trying to pick up the threads of these storylines, yeah, uh, with the very bad lettering, <laughs> very bad. Like cause... French has more words, so they didn't always fit. Oh yeah, and so it's like really scratchy and <laughs> like the worst lettering in the world. See, this is how much we like comics. <laughs> we used to read reprints, translated badly comics. Yeah, and half of them. Half of them would have Spider-Man, yeah. and then the other half would have L'Araignée, or something. Yeah. And they sometimes change the names of the hero, <laughs> but not always. Just sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Is it the Fantastic Four or Les Quatre Fantastiques? Depends on the issue. It, it depends. Was, it, it was... It wasn't... <laughs> depends if uh, it was printed on a Monday, or, you know, if somebody was on vacation. That was that was crazy. So those were your first... That was your my first favorite. Adam yeah. story was in one of those? Those were my first superhero stories. Other than that, I, you know, I had the classic French stuff, you know, the Schtroumpf, the Smurfs. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, Tintin which, and all that. Yeah, Tintin, or like we like to call them Tintin, because we're, you know, we're that way. Uh, you know, Lucky Luke, uh, these, these types. Uh, Asterix, which is still one of the best superhero comics. Ever. Mm, yeah, that's... Yeah. I see them as superheroes. Well, it's like Our Man. It's basically Our Man. <laughs> Aesthetics. I still bought one this year. There's a new one that came out. Mm. I still bought it. Sure. I, I just can't stop. These were my favorite... My, my first superheroes were these jumbos, black and whites. My first real English uh, where I could read them, uh, comic books, were actually some Teen Titans. So that's where my love for, right. you know, uh, Dick Grayson and, you know, Cyborg and all these guys... That's when I started reading them in English. I'm just slightly older, so yeah, mileage may vary, but I still had to read yeah. those black and whites. But we've gotten uh, away from the yeah. from the topic. Any final words on the atom? You know what? I really like the power of the atom. I might just pick up this entire run since it's only like 19 issues. Uh, what? 18 issues, 18 issues. And it's probably, if you're going to go for back issues, probably dirt cheap. Yeah. I would yeah. say dirt cheap. I do want to read this entire Power of the Atom because I really enjoy right. it. For a quarter and a bag of dirt, you might get the, all 18 <laughs> issues. Uh, they should be easy to find. I'll be raiding my comic book store very soon. Cool. We'll take another short break. And after this, your feedback for our previous episode about the Doom Patrol. Stick around. The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, in which four guys talk about romance comics and about romances in comics with Ciscoid. We're all uh, French Canadians here. Marty! In horror comics, there's often like this little, you know, <laughs> romance tinge, I guess. Okay. Bass! <laughs> we oh, just yeah. turned on him! <laughs> and yours truly, Fern. I'm very aroused. Featuring the overproduced wonder that is romance comics theater every episode. Dan, I knew it couldn't last from the first day you eyeballed me when I reported to work. It wouldn't matter if I washed in laundry soap and came to work in a burlap sack. I'd turn you on. 
and you have the same effect on me. The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, available at iTunes. We had a comic book romance. Letters from the front. Oh, yes. <laughs> Letters from the front. We have comments about two episodes, really. Oh, really? Our short mini-episode on the CW Invasion event. Yes. yes. And Doom Patrol number 17. So Perfect. Let's start with the, the first one. Facebook says... Uh, Facebook doesn't say anything. Facebook <laughs> is just such a platform. But Ryan Daly on Facebook says, Nice little discussion. I wonder if the CW will use some of their established alien races, like the White Martians, mm-hmm. in place of some of the other races from the comics, like the Kuns. Right now? I really don't know. When we did the episode, it was kind of early. We just yeah. we just found out and we're all excited. But as uh, Supergirl's going right now, we do have Miss Martian in there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, we have Durlins. The whole... Uh, not Durlins, Daxamites. The whole motor for the villains is a prison ship with yeah. lots of different characters from different alien races. So they can pull from any of those or add new ones. Uh, Chris Franklin says, uh, I would bet Galactic Credits that Monel's storyline is tied into this invasion crossover because he heard it's going to be an, a complicated one. Oh, well, it started off complicated. I don't know if you're up uh, to no, date. No, I'm not up to date. Oh, at well. All. well. There's a little twist in there. Uh, he says, uh, My guess is this will spin out of Supergirl. We said Arrow. That's what we said. It, was, it might start yeah, with yeah. Arrow. But he uh, corrects me by saying that the, the chapters would actually run Supergirl flash Arrow Legends exactly, yeah. in the schedule. I was. Uh, I was way off on that. Well, we call it the Arrowverse. That's, that's, Maybe I, that's I think it. that's why we figured Arrow would be the first place to... But it makes sense to end with the team. Yeah. Like a bigger threat, a team threat. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff R. says, Apparently Supergirl will be visiting Earth CW1 for the crossover. So if Monel does end up coming from Earth CW1 Daxum, I'd say that could make for a complicated story. David S. Gutierrez says, Don't be so shy about claiming credit. This is all because of you kids. Well, yes, it is. No, it's not. We're taking full credit. None of the credit. We're working. W- we're not working with anybody. We just <laughs> like this. <laughs> we only like this story. Uh, Ange says, uh, I would love, love to see a Gildish fan on the show, but I can't imagine that'll happen. I think it'll happen. Right now, I'm very optimistic. <laughs> okay. I think we're going to see all of these. I think we're going to see everybody. Okay. Anyway, we'll, we'll be doing a special, a special episode or several special episodes. Yeah. When the time comes, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, Next I'm, year. Down, I'm down with that. <laughs> I'm year. down with that. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, now we're on to comments about episode 13, which was the Doom Patrol number 17 episode. Yeah. Here, Chris Franklin says, It does seem odd that DC didn't, give, didn't try to give the DP a boost in their own title when new readers were going to be picking this up. Maybe Morrison was already hired and Kupperberg was just closing up shop, which pretty much would happen. Mm-hmm. I gotta disagree on Aquaman's visuals. Uh, from what we said. There's nothing inherently goofy about Aquaman's classic look that isn't found in Superman's, for instance. His contrasting color scheme is very striking. I've always thought he had a very strong, unique image among the Super Pantheon. The Superman animated episode proves that the look can be used with less than a sunny disposition. It still works. Yeah. I, I, I don't think we talked about... No. There was... The people saw some goofiness to it. Yeah. Well, it's not there. That's not... It's Aquaman, not the costume. It wasn't Aquaman costume. Was, wasn't goofy. I think I, I made a reference to the, like, the soldiers and the Atlanteans yeah. who had this goofy outfit with the fin on their head. And, but Aquaman you know, was guiltless yeah. of any fashion crime. In you know what? Even the, the seahorse was kind of cool under Aquaman there. Seahorses are fine. <laughs> well, the seahorse comes back a lot in these comments, as you'll see. <laughs> uh, Ange uh, from the Super... Um, whatever, the Supergirl... <laughs> 
Edge from the Supergirl blog, uh, comic box commentary. Well, why don't you have Supergirl in the title, Edge? It, it screws me up every time. Every time. Uh, I was nodding my head at the Celsius Tempest Tempest confusion, he says. We aren't the only ones flummoxed or wondering if there was more there. And other people were just as confused. In the Blackest Night Doom Patrol crossover issue, Keith Giffen brought in a Josh... Tempest, Clay, Doom Patrol Zombie to attack the team. But instead of energy beams, Giffen accidentally gave him the powers of Garth as Tempest. Yeah, it's confusing. And it's all linked up. That's why it's confusing. It could have been so easy just to, you know, make a mesh. And they, and they didn't. I think everybody wishes it meshed. We also got a uh, letter from a poor, besieged, occupied Australia. Oh, man. I don't know how they get their mail out. Maybe because of the Resistance. Atom. Resistance? Yep. Yeah. Maybe the Adam. Uh, Paul Hicks says, I feel quite offended by your presumption that I will listen to this episode <laughs> just because I've listened to every other one and commented on most of them. Well, yeah, our bad. Our presumption was really that you run a uh, your own podcast and that podcast is all about the Doom Patrol. It's yeah. called Waiting for Doom. And you're not waiting anymore. There's a Doom Patrol comic out. So exactly. Time to close up shop, Paul. Uh, <laughs> uh, but seriously... He says, this issue is problematic, as you pointed out, in that Paul Kupperberg abandons his plots rather than resolves them. The resolution of the Niles Calder-Arani-Desai relationship isn't clear-cut as you described. The readers only have the chief's word that they weren't married. And given we learn later in Volume 2, he may very well have been lying. But it really bothered us that Arani is clearly committing suicide rather than trying an ill-advised gambit. Mr. Kupperberg told us in Waiting for Doom, they had, him, uh, they had an interview, that he writes issue to issue without long-term plans. I think it really shows in his DP run, which was really unsatisfactory for readers, there's likable characters in fairly pedestrian adventures with terrible team dynamics. You like them despite the plots, mostly. The end of the run is rich in wasted opportunities with characters never experiencing any growth or arcs. But as is the norm around here, Mike and I, at Waiting for Doom, found our joy in the Kupperberg run. We celebrated the 80s-ness of Lodestone, the angstiness of Josh and Val's love life, the fortright goofiness of Hot Hands, the, that's actually a character name, the <laughs> fake punkness of Karma, and the many, many butt shots in Eric Larson's art. And he goes on to say, these issues were much more fun to synopsize and review than some of the much better written fare. It's fun to mock. And then he also says, um, the, the issue was a bright point in the run at this stage, as the team had been basically hanging around Kansas for about a year by this point. The change of venue was very welcome, and I loved the Sea Devils appearance, and this was definitely my first exposure to the team, predating Dane Dorrance's more serious guest spot in Animal Man. Plus, Bass is wrong about the pointlessness of Aquaman riding a giant seahorse. Here we go. Of course. If I were editor-in-chief at DC, I would mandate that Arthur never be seen in any panel without his butt planted firmly on the back of a giant seahorse. Under the sea, in the JLA headquarters, in space, making sweet love to Mira, it makes him even cooler. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna agree to not agree. I'm not gonna agree to disagree. I think I like the seahorse. It's a cool thing, but I just love how Aquaman just goes to like Mach 3 underwater, which is an incredible feat. Unless the horse can go faster. Maybe. Or it, you know, gets tired. Yeah. He's a good sprinter and you need the horse for the longer yeah. rides. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't want the horse with Aquaman and Mira. That's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of gross. That's well, gross. This is a person that talks about Doom Patrol on, uh, that's on gross. A, <laughs> uh, speaking of which, I did buy the, uh, the start of the Morrison, uh, Doom Patrol stuff? Doom Patrol stuff, yeah. It's very wacky. The wreckage of them? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of mm. fun. Uh, also, Arani can fire heat or cold out of either hand. It's not left-right power division. All right. That's, I think it's something I, I might have said. Uh, also, Doom Patrol preceded the X-Men by three months. We were wondering if you yeah, know, who, who came first. 
There's no direct evidence of anyone copying anyone, though there were some suspicions voiced by DP creator Arnold Drake, but everyone agrees. If there was any plagiarism, it's from the Marvel camp, not DC. Okay. We're not starting that war. And like uh, like we talked about in the early... You know how uh, we are taking credit for the invasion in the Arrowverse? Uh, maybe some of us are. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, great minds thinking alike. Yeah, that's there's just something in the water. Yeah. <laughs> Rob Kelly from Film and Water says, As you might have guessed, this was my fave episode of Invasion. Of course. We guessed. And then Paul Hicks answered him, Because Doom Patrol, you surprised me, Rob. <laughs> so, of course, Rob is uh, runs the Aquaman Shrine. That's why. Mark Baker Wright says, I confess to some confusion about the comments regarding Aquaman riding on the giant seahorse, especially comparing to the idea of Flash riding a motorcycle. I'm not aware that super speed is a power that Aquaman has. Well, he has the swimming power. Yeah. If we go by uh, the DC Heroes role-playing game, which we often do here at Fire and Water Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think his swimming is rated very highly. So I, I can check if you like. But uh... yeah, there's also a reference. And I know it's not canon, but I believe uh, Smallville. He mentions that he can swim at incredible speeds. But you know, I'm go- now I'm going to use <laughs> I'm going to use DC uh, heroes. Ciscoid is bringing out the books. All right, so let's set the record straight. This is uh, his power is rated at seven. What does seven mean in terms of speed? It means um, 125 miles an hour. Just pretty, pretty quick. Um, How fast is a seahorse? I don't know. <laughs> There's also a reference, I'm not sure from where, Quora.com. And they're saying that it's over three kilometers per second. It's 10,000 feet per second, which is pretty quick. Faster than Superman, actually. Aquaman could swim faster than oh, Superman. I'll swim Superman? So that's, well, there you, go. you know, it's pretty quick. But yeah, I can see if a seahorse... Runs as fast as a horse. Yeah. That's uh, 80 miles an hour or so, isn't it? Yeah, 60, it's pretty quick. 60 to 80? We don't know. We'll we'll just give him the, the benefit of the doubt and say, good sprinter. Yeah. Swimming all the way up to Arctic, the Arctic Ocean. Maybe. He's a good swimmer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit on a horse for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. But we do like the horse, though. Well, I like the horse. Cisco, not that much. But I, I love I the love horse. horse. I love the horse. Was I against the horse? I don't know. I can't, I can't remember, remember if I was against the horse, but I don't think I was against the horse. I, don't I think, think it's you like were. a cute, you know, cute wink to the filmation cartoon. Okay. What else does Mark say here? He says, I also feel compelled to put in my two cents on what I know will be an unpopular opinion. I am just not a fan of Grant Morrison. It seems to me that the man can't write a coherent story to save his life. He's so consumed by being clever and metatextual that his stories get bogged down in it all to the detriment of the narrative. A comic reader shouldn't have to have a PhD in psychology nor in comic book minutia to generate enjoyment from a comic book story. Morrison's writing seems to leave the more casual fan entirely out of the loop and thus just isn't for me. And I will agree with that last fact. Yeah. It's not for everyone, but I don't think every comic, every type of story is for everyone. Morrison's stuff in this era, the Doom Patrol stuff that would soon come after this, and the Animal Man stuff that we also Mm -hmm. quite liked before... That stuff really spoke to me. I was exactly the type of reader this was written for. Yeah, and I'll go even further in saying that some of the Morrison stuff I do like. And some of it, yeah, it doesn't doesn't really go over my head. But I do, because, you know, I kind of like that stuff, the meta stuff and all that. But I don't always enjoy everything that he does. So, you know, I I get you. Yeah, there have been there have been some weaker things. I think there, he's done some mainstream things that I think a lot of people like. Mm-hmm. So I disagree that he can't write a coherent story. Yeah, or, that's not true. Or that he's just trying to be clever. I think there's something there that for some readers, perhaps with a certain background or certain tastes, 
it really works. And, of course, it doesn't work for everyone. Well, yeah, and I think he probably chooses when to try to push that envelope a bit, you know, because not everything is open to being pushed as far as he goes. But, you know, yeah. I... Jimmy McGlinchey says, uh, talks about Graham Nolan's art on uh, Doom Patrol, and we also saw him today on Power of the Atom. Graham Nolan's art was promising, but it is only when he did Hawkworld and Detective Comics in the early 90s that his art blossomed. So that's really where I knew him from. Yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. I, I'm not really... Uh... I don't know much. It is very strange to think today that in the course of the Invasion storyline, there was no ongoing for either Green Lantern or Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How times have changed. Aquaman is a great character, but unfortunately I find that writers submerge him, no pun intended, into... Well, I think pun was intended. <laughs> yeah, come on. That writers submerge him into the politics of Atlantis too much. The better runs of Aquaman are always those that acknowledge his role in Atlantis, but embrace more his role in the wider world and the world of superheroes. I don't disagree. Anonymous says... You mean the hacker group? <laughs> Some people leave messages on... Instead of fireandwaterpodcast.com, they leave them at Cisco's blog of geekery. Okay. That's possible. And there you can actually post anonymously. Yeah, you live dangerously on your blog. And an anonymous uh, listener said, I remember being somewhat shocked by Celsius's death uh, when I read it with 12 to 13 year old eyes. It wasn't an heroic act. It looked more like the suicide of a desperate, sad person with problems. Mostly that nobody believed her when she said the chief was her husband. And of course, that bastard chief was lying and playing with everybody back then. Celsius is one of his uh, victims. Yeah. And let's end with some Facebook likes and shares. And uh, thanks a lot, everybody, because uh, we do enjoy the, the likes and shares. That's how we get, you know, get around. Yep. We need your support. Ryan Daly of the late Secret Origins podcast. There's Clinton Robinson of Coffee and Comics Blog, Rob Kelly, Chris Franklin, Corey Hodgden, David Foster, Jeremy Gunter, Jimmy McGlinchey, Pat Sampson, Billy Lacasse, Robert Ward, Abel Padilla, Nicholas Brom, Roy Cleary, Sam Lowe, Gene Hendricks of The Hammer Strikes, Sean Brock, Daniel Budnick, Sean Emmons, and Chag Matthews. And Twitter retweets and favorites from Coffee and Comics Blog, Bill Beer, Hexmaster Lauren, Keith G. Baker, Two True Freaks, The Hammer Strikes, Relatively Geeky, Irredeemable Shag, Treasury Comics, DSNRS, JSLAB425, Xenozoic, Xenophiles, Longbox Crusade, Comic Reflections, Stephen Flynn, Ill It Beats, Bat, David Gallagher, Joseph Crawford, Justice's First Dawn, The 108th Sage, Waiting for Doom, Flanger of the Crypt, Ryan Daly, Zawiza, Jim Bao, Comic Book Insurance, David Gutierrez, Willie Yarbrough, and Warlord Worlds, who follow Friday all our shows. Plus, Google Plus likes and shares. We have a bunch of them. It's a growing list, Bass. Oh, my. DC in the 80s, Glenn Walker, Kevin Tipple, and Gene Hendricks at the Hammer Strikes. We are bringing back Google Plus, people. It never went anywhere. Never and I mean that. <laughs> so if you want to leave your own comment, you can find us obviously at fireandwaterpodcast.com. If you're on Twitter, please use the hashtag FWPodcasts. And of course, there's a Facebook page as well for Fire and Water. Uh, all of that, easy to find. And you can also leave one on iTunes. That helps uh, the show a lot. Thanks. Next time on First Strike, the Invasion Podcast. Starman number five.